Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. to episode 31 of the Essendon People podcast, round 22 review for the game against the Gold Coast and the review, uh, the preview of the last game of the year for round 23 against Collingwood. Um, so, Brendan, if you thought we were excited last week, then uh, God help us for this show. This is this is bound to be uh, a positive show, I would have thought. Oh, yeah, very, very positive there. Oh, really looking forward to dissecting the, uh, the win against the Gold Coast there. Uh, a lot of positives. Uh, very few negatives, which is a, which is a bit different than uh, <laughs> what could have been. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to having a, a chat about some a lot of club news this week as well. So uh, some some big talking points there. Yeah, there's quite a bit to get through, so we'll jump straight into it. So uh, we had a win, obviously, against the Gold Coast. It was Essendon 14-14-98 to Gold Coast, four goals, 6-30. So a 68-point win. And uh, fair to say that... Um, we dominated most of the stats here as well. So uh, we had 17 more kicks, 43 more handballs, 60 more disposals, 22 more contested possessions, 41 more uncontested possessions, and 60 more effective disposals uh, as well. So um, anything else you made out of the stats there, Brendan? No, I think it's quite clear. We kind of dominated it inside. Uh, we dominated it outside, and we, we used it well. So in the past... A couple of weeks ago, when we were struggling, I think that that uncontested possession we were losing a fair bit, or was at least uh, diminished greatly. So it's good to see us uh, kind of get that back into gear on that. Um, I think we've talked about it a lot. That whole uncontested possession, a lot of that's got to do with our uh, our handball game, how we like to get it out of the clearance and then progress the ball forward through handball. You can see, like you said, plus forty three handballs there. So that's kind of a Indicative of how we wanted to play, and it's uh, it's going well for us there. And of course, the um, the the effective disposals. It's uh, you know really good to have uh, have the skies you know hitting targets and uh, kind of opening the play up as well. So that's really good. So we'll kind of uh, kind of go through the first quarter there, Mark. So we um was kind of dead even there a quarter time. We was two goal two fourteen apiece, both from uh, four scoring shots there. I thought um. We obviously had the win and we had a, a real opportunity to take advantage of what looked like a strong breeze. And it looked like uh, at the first little bit there, they were setting up their stoppages to kind of nullify the influence of, of Draper. And I thought, you know, Took Miller was really good in his positioning and kind of he got those first couple of clearances by being a bit smarter. Uh, but once we kind of changed that, we were able to get on top in the clearance there, but just couldn't couldn't get the the score on the board. What did you make of the first quarter? Yeah, I was, I was a little bit concerned that we yeah had maybe wasted the opportunity. We had a lot of the play, um, had it down our end a lot and just didn't really even generate enough opportunities to kick goals. Um, it wasn't that we kicked a bunch of points. It, we just weren't able to even have shots at goals. So, uh, yeah, I was a bit concerned that we'd maybe been a bit wasteful. Um, maybe we're a bit fortunate that we didn't play the strongest side in the comp and um, we maybe got away with that and 
and got hold of them in the second quarter there. But yeah, I was a little bit nervous. I guess in that second quarter, uh, yeah, that was that was a bit more telling going against the Braves. We kicked six goals, six. So 12 scoring, uh, 12 scoring shots, pretty poor conversion at 50%, but um, held them to one goal, two, and overall won the quarter by 34 points. So um, that took us into, into halftime of that handy sort of 34-point uh, lead. But I, I guess, Brendan, at that point, uh, again, our conversion had sort of come back to come back to haunt us a little bit. Yeah, I only was going at the uh, the fifty percent there, but I guess um, the devil's in the detail there with the scoring shots. Seven scoring shots to our sixteen, and the Gold Coast, you know, not only went at a worse conversion rate at forty three percent, but you know they only kicked the three goals for the half compared to our eight. So, I guess, um, yeah. Obviously, want to see that conversion rate up. We talk about conversion and accuracy in front of goal a lot on the on the podcast there, so that's something that certainly has to improve. But um, overall, kicking against the breeze in that second quarter, I thought we did thought we did pretty well. Yeah, I think um, I think it was a bit of a surprise to, to everyone. That I think they were expecting that we would have to defend a fair bit against Gold Coast, and I'm not sure exactly whether it was us stepping up or them maybe falling asleep a little bit. But it was. Um, Nice to see there. And then it led us into the third quarter after half time. So we kind of carried on with it. We kept them goalless. They only kicked two points in the third quarter. And uh, we kicked four goals, four. So we piled on another 26 points onto our lead, which went us going into the um, into the three-quarter time break with a lead of 10 goals, 60 points. So that was kind of uh, a little bit comforting. Not too many teams would be, uh, be putting much of a dint in that coming out um, into, into the last term. So it was nice to go into the third quarter. Uh, into a three-quarter time break with that lead. Yeah, and we kicked we kicked the two goals two to the one goal straight in the last quarter. There we had four scoring shots uh, to the one, uh, converted at fifty percent. I said to you at a at three-quarter time there, Mark, that I was a bit nervous that you know this is the type of game that we um if we were a good side we'd put the foot on the throat and you know kick away maybe win by you know, 15, 16 goals, try to push that 100-point mark. But I said, classic us, we'll, um, <laughs> we'll end up <laughs> getting run over the top and uh, only winning by five goals. Didn't quite eventuate that way, but to only kick the uh, the two goals two in that last quarter there, I thought was it was a real wasted opportunity to kind of um, teach some good habits and get get into the form of, of winning. You know, yeah, it's some. It's difficult to to win at time. You've got to make winning a habit. So to really, really push it as hard as we could have, and kept going and going, I thought was was a missed opportunity. But um, yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I agree, and I think we had we had a lot of the ball in that last quarter as well, um, and just weren't able to punish them on the scoreboard. We, I think, there was a period there where you know, of like 10 minutes where we just really dominated down our end and just didn't hit the scoreboard really at all. So, um, yeah, that was a little bit frustrating to to watch us be so dominant but not be able to finish it off. We could have really gone on with it. But nonetheless, it's good to come out with uh, with an 11-goal win. Uh, that doesn't happen for us very often in, in uh, recent history. So uh, we'll definitely take that. So that probably leads us into the good, the bad and the ugly. So to kick us off with the good, Brendan, um, Jake Stringer, straight off the top, he kicked the five goals, had 19 disposals at tick under 80% efficiency. Um, he had 11 score involvements, five inside 50s and four clearances as well. So uh, I'll put it to you, is is Jake Stringer currently the best player in the comp? Oh, big question. I think he's probably in the top handful. 
Uh, I certainly think he's probably the most impactful player in the competition at the moment. He's playing that kind of mid-forward game. You talked there about having 11 score involvements and five inside 50s. He's really, when he gets the ball, he gets the ball going forward, which I think is kind of being something our midfielders lacked for a long time. We've had, had guys getting a lot of possession numbers and sometimes they're getting that around the back or trying to, we're trying to use the wings a bit more. It, that's not Jakey's joke. Jakey's uh, a straight down the guts top kind of guy and he's, um, he's getting the ball in there quick, deep and fast. So I think maybe because uh, he knows how, uh, how frustrating it has been to be playing in our forward line over the past couple of years with the slow, slow ball movement and the dump kicks in that he just goes, that's it. I'm getting in there as quick as I can try and get, give our forwards a chance. So yeah. Um, you said he's the best player in the comp. I said he's the most impactful. I certainly wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be trading him for anyone at the moment. <laughs> Put it that way. What did you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I don't think. Um, I guess the yeah, other question was a bit tongue in cheek. Maybe I, I think you're right. I think he's in, in maybe the you know the top five or ten players. There's a fair, fair few good players getting around, like um, Bontempelli and Petrarca and those sort of guys at the moment who are equally able to rack up plenty of the ball, get clearances, and kick goals. So um, interesting to see how. Jake's year might have been viewed even more so now without having missed some games of injury at the beginning of the year. Um, so that would have been interesting because his averages are very good. But, um, yeah, just really pleased he's earned the big contract. He's got that and he's gone on and, and um, he seems to be really enjoying his footy and being at Essendon, which is really good. Um, did you want to take us into the next one there? Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, talk about how good the back line's been going. You know, I think this has been a general trend this year, how strong our back line has been and how kind of some guys in different roles have kind of really stood up. So on the weekend, we had plus 12 intercepts, uh, so 75 intercepts for the game. And, you know, whilst we were down on rebound 50s, uh, the reason why we were down, because the ball didn't get into <laughs> into their Gold Coast forward line. So the defenders were pushing up the ground, really making it difficult, you know. And we talked about, you know, how Jaden Laverde has really come on this year having gone back there. Um, if you look at his stats, did not have a standout game. Only had the 17 disposals, went at 70 cent efficiency, had the four marks, three rebounds, you know, nine intercepts, you know. But th- that was a game purely you watch with your eyes. Stats don't matter. He smashed Ben King, right? Ben King was their only real target forward. And he beat him in every contest. He beat him in the body. He beat him in the air. Right, there was even one occasion where he kind of got got a handball burst off him, handball receiving, actually broke through a tackle and kicked the ball up onto the wing to Peter Wright. All right, he's um yeah, that was just a a real really impressive performance from Jaden, and that was that was backed up by guys like Mason Redmond and Nick Hind, who on the other side did actually have quite impressive uh, games stat wise. They had both had thirty percent apiece, both went over eighty percent efficiency. You know, had big numbers on, you know, score involvements, inside 50s and intercepts there. Uh, those two at half-back is a really kind of good one-two punch there. You've got Hine with his, his run and he likes to kind of get up the ground. And, and Redmond's getting a lot of ball there, but it's his physicality and what he does in the air and all these little things that you don't really, uh, don't really notice. He's kind of sagging off his opponent, helping out teammates, doing blocks, kind of little handball out to kind of create the play and get that burst going. I think them two are playing really well together in the back line. 
yeah, they're playing with a lot of confidence. And Nick Hines kicked, I think, four or five goals this year as well, which is a nice little, nice little added uh, bonus on top of that as well. So um, we move on to the midfield. So we were in control at the clearances again. So we had uh, six more clearances then than uh, than Gold Coast, three more center clearances, and three more stoppage clearances. So similar to what you said earlier, we won it inside and then took it outside. And um, getting it at the clearances. Uh, is is really important. So um, it was the usual suspects, Darcy Parrish and, and uh, Zach Merritt. So Parrish had the 34 disposals at nearly 80%. Um, he had uh, 12 score involvements, so six inside 50s and six clearances. Um, so continued on with the big clearance numbers. Zach Merritt, uh, the 31 disposals at 71%. Um, he had the five score involvements and the two inside 50s and five clearances. Um, so really good games from them. Dylan Shield also had a better game this week. He had 21 disposals at 85% efficiency, um, which is good for Dylan's confidence. His his uh, disposal efficiency has maybe been brought into question a little bit over his over his time, and really good to see him have a nice clean game there. And uh, he had the five score involvements, the four inside fifties, and three clearances as well himself. So also three tackles. So he's putting on plenty of pressure. Yes, yes. I thought uh, I thought Dylan's game was particularly strong. It kind of coming back from long-term injury, kind of the pecking order in the midfield's changed a little bit there. So kind of just trying to find what, what his best role is going forward. And I think he's, he's adapting to it, to it quite well. And I think, you know, we talk about how good the midfield and how the clearance is going. And that's, um, I got down to a great deal to the big Ruckman, Sam Draper, dominant again. Uh, only the 10 disposals, but I think he had the, the 29 hitouts, you know, had the four score involvements, three inside 50s and five clearances himself. Uh, you know, he's uh, week on week, he's getting better and better. He's really got into the groove now. And he's uh, he always does a, a few little funky things. But I think we said the other day, the uh, the funky things seem to come off. They, they go his way. Yeah, it's um. There's so many times. It, there's multiple times in a game now. It seems where he gets the ball and he's carrying it and he's running and he's he's running as fast as the midfielders. And you can sort of see him processing in his mind, going, oh, "I shouldn't be doing this. I'm I'm the ruckman." And then he's looking for someone to handball it off, and that's the only time where it sort of unravels a bit. But if he um, he's already a pretty confident confident man. But if he got a, another drop of confidence in him, another another little bit of confidence, he could break through. And uh, you, you sort of mentioned the way that he plays a little bit like Nick Nananui and that he bursts out of the centre and gets some of his own clearances. Um, yeah, the way that he carries the ball and the speed that he carries it at and the, how clean his taps are for such an inexperienced and young ruckman, it's it's really exciting to watch every week, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. I think kind of like Nick Nui, because he's so big, he's got such a long stride and because he's so quick, he bursts, he follows the ball up. And he run, he's running faster than the midfielders next to him. <laughs> so he can't really handball forward. Sometimes he gets caught out in the midfielders, you know, three, five metres away. And he kind of got a this little cheap handball that kind of sits up there and it kind of stops the play. I think what Nick Nat has done really well is that he gets the ball. When he's in that, he doesn't handball. He just kicks it long. And I think, obviously, Sam's had a bit of a bit of wayward kicking this year. Maybe he's not confident in of itself and... When you're running and that high pace thing, maybe you don't think as clear. Oh, you just see the guy next to him. I've got to give it. But that's maybe the next development in his game. If he can, you know, kick the ball forward deep inside fifty. I think we've spoken before, Mark, how his field kicking is not too bad. 
And when he's on the move, he's kicking not too bad. It's kind of that set that set shot. He kind of it looks to me, I'm no expert here, he kind of gets under the ball a bit and it kind of goes up really high and then it kind of drops. Right. Whereas when he's in the field kick, he's got that more natural arc and curve and depth to it. But if you've got your big ruckman get five clearances a game and he's kicking at 50 metres inside thing, right, he, and he's taking marks and he's dropping back in the hole, he's, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's a special player, I think we've got, special player. Definitely exciting to watch. Um, a couple of other guys here who really excited to mention as well is um, a couple of mid-season draft specialists that we've got now. So uh, Will Snelling obviously picked up her two or three years ago in the, in the mid-season draft and recently signed contract extension. He had 20 disposals at 90% efficiency, had the seven marks, four tackles, uh, eight score involvements, four inside 50s. He got himself a clearance as well. So Will Snelling just continues to have that real massive contribution and underrated um, game every week. Uh, doesn't need to be hitting the scoreboard at all in, in my book. It's just a bonus if he does. The, a lot of the work he's doing is off the ball and up the field. Um, so he's going really well. Um, Sam Durham, he had 20 disposals, 85% efficiency, six marks. Uh, he kicked a goal, hit the post on the second occasion, could have finished with two goals if he was a bit luckier. Um, had six score involvements as well and a couple of clearances. So uh, And the five rebound 50. So he's he, played, he played a really nice role on the wing where he was very defensive and accountable, but also provided options uh, up the field to hit the scoreboard, plus gave it off to people who scored as well. So um, I thought that that was his best game in his short time at the club. And uh, he really, you can sort of see his, um, his whole attitude and everything has changed. Like it, not that he came in with a, with a bad attitude or anything like that by any means, but um, you can sort of just tell, obviously being fresh at the club, he was probably a bit nervous and a bit, bit sort of, um, you know, sort of uh, fitting in, getting, getting sort of uh, to that point. But he just looks part of the group now and everyone's getting around him. He's getting around everyone else. And um both these guys, Snelling and Durham, just had really good games on the weekend. Yeah, Will Snelling's a top ten player at the club this year. Uh, he his performances are really strong and really consistent. Uh, and I think we've mentioned this before. There, Will Snelling is a guy you've got to really focus on, or you've got to look back on on the replay. You don't maybe in in the game because of all the emotion. You maybe don't see a lot of the work he does, but kind of when you watch it, the full game again on replay, it, he, what he does really stands out. And I really agree with you with Sam Durham. I think I think every week we say this is the best game he's played. <laughs> and I think, it, I think it has to do with he's starting to believe that he's an AFL player. Maybe, you know, he's had some setbacks, not being picked in uh, representative teams as a junior, having to do with the hard way, get on the VFL list, kind of that, uh, you know, and he got picked up mid-season draft. Where do I fit in? Where or not? You know, but now he kind of understands his role. He's, like you said, he's playing a really valuable role, and um, if he keeps playing at this level, if not improving, I think he's got that wing spot sewn up, really. Or if you say, "Oh, you don't have him on a wing," we talk a lot about having having a bit of a dearth of smaller halfback flankers who kind of can do a job and also provide something the other way. I don't see why he couldn't be that guy. He's definitely he, this, you know, five game patch that he's had. He's really, um, really set himself up to have a long career at the Bombers there. And I guess, you know, kind of 
what's really been strong in, in this week was the ball movement. So we talked, obviously, we won by a lot there, but we were plus 15 on inside 50s, had 61 for the match. Well, plus 72 on score involvements with 117. Well, plus 18 for scoring shots. We had 28 scoring shots for the game. Um, our conversion, sadly, was at 50%. So I guess that's something we raved about last week, how, how great it was. And, you know, Peter Wright kicked seven straight and conversion was way up there. But it, unfortunately, this week we dropped back down to down to 50 there. So hopefully um, this week against the Pies, it can kind of get back up there. So um, I guess we'll move on to the, under the bads, Mark. What, what did we have there? Yeah, it was probably a nice segue, actually. You sort of mentioned the conversion. I guess we sort of touched on it earlier as well, that despite how dominant we were around the ground, we sort of failed to capitalise as much as we could have. We still obviously came out with a nice big win, but um, we had the 61 inside 50s to their 46. We had 28 scoring shots to their 10, um, but having gone at 50% just meant that the win, although it was big, could have been even bigger. So, um, like you said, our conversion was really good last week. If we can find that balance... um, a bit and a bit, bit more accuracy, then we can become really dangerous. We got just under 100 points, which has happened a few times this year. We've, um, you know, kick one one kick straighter, and all of a sudden you're over 100 points in probably another, you know, three or four or five games. So um, that was a bit of a minor one. Uh, I guess that kind of leads us into the, uh, the the key forwards as well. We had Peter Wright last week who kicked seven and um, and provided a real target up there this week. Um, out of himself and Aaron Francis, we just didn't get quite as as much. Uh, not to say they had bad games, but they just didn't really, I guess, hit the scoreboard. So um, Francis had the 15 disposals at 73% efficiency, kicked a couple of behinds, had seven score involvements, uh, four inside 50s. Um, he did a few nice things, little tap-ons and stuff like that that created opportunities for others. Peter Wright had the eight disposals, um, took the four marks. He, um, he had two tackles and and uh, four score involvements. So uh, not a bad game. Like on the stat sheet, it doesn't look fantastic, but he'd still presented an option and did, I guess, what we got him to the club for. Um, pretty hard to back up his game, obviously, uh, last week. But um, thankfully, we had Stringer sort of stand up and kick the bag. Um, but uh, yeah, just hopefully next week, we get a bit more of an even even spread with some of those uh, taller forwards. Yeah, yeah. I think I guess the the last last one we want to talk on was the, was the tackles. There, we only had thirty five tackles for the game. It was a pretty free flowing game, and we had uh, a lot of the ball. So, can't can't tackle yourself there. But obviously, um, having having tackles is a big number. And I guess you know, had the 11, 11 of the thirty five were were inside fifty. So, from that perspective, we were at least getting repeat stoppages inside our fifties or repeat breakdowns of play, which was not bad. I think on the tackles too, it, it, there's been a bit of a theme the last couple of weeks. Um, you're not obviously going to nail every tackle, but early in the games, we've seen some missed tackles. And if uh, maybe some of those stick, all of a sudden you'd be, the pressure starts to build even more so. Because I thought our pressure was quite good for most of the game. But um, yeah, we can just tie up a few of those tackles. I think sometimes we're going so hard and so fast that, they, that they're slipping through. I don't think it's through a, through a lack of effort. It's um, more just sometimes the technique just drops a little bit. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, not too bad. And uh, what about the ugly for this week, Brendan? Well, I think uh, on the whole, there was there was not really much you could classify on an ugly, which I think was um was pretty good there. So I guess we'll kind of move on to the uh, the Essendon People Podcast Player of the Year award, the Heath Hocking Medal. Our votes for this week. I'll, I'll, I'll start there, Mark. I gave my uh, 
One vote to Will Snelling. Uh, my two votes to Nick Hind. Three votes to Darcy Parrish. Four votes to Jaden Laverty. And, of course, the, the big man, Jakey Stringer, got my five. What about you, Mark? My one vote went to Sam Durham. My two votes went to Will Snelling. Three votes to Mason Redmond. Four votes to Jaden Laverde. And five votes to Jake Stringer as well. So um, with that, we will uh, wrap up the first bit of the show and we'll go to a quick break. We'll come back with uh, a fair bit of club news that we've got to get through. So, Brendan, and what was a really exciting result for the club on the weekend uh, on the field? Um, it This week's actually been a, a somewhat emotional and sad week with uh, the announcing of a couple of retirements. Um, I'll maybe get you to start us off there. Yeah, so I guess the first one there it kind of broke today there was um, this Carl Hooker there. Um, he's obviously played the 219 games across 13 season there. Uh, he was drafted in, in 2007 there, and he's. It's funny how how fast it goes by there. He's now he's now 32. He haven't played 13 years there. Um, I kind of was all Australian. Won the best and fairest in 2015. Was runner up in the best and fairest, and is obviously a life member of a club having played you know over the 200 games there. I guess the thing that I found really interesting was when they did the announcement. They kind of um had a little, you know, picture that they docked it up there. And, they, and the three words they used to describe Carl Hooker was uh, loyal, reliable and passionate. And I, when I read that, I thought, geez, that's actually uh, a really good way to kind of summarise who he was there. And I guess um, we'll just firstly go to some quotes and I think we'll talk about the, the massive, massive impact that Hooker's had on the football club. So this is from Hooker. I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity the club has given me and I will leave the game at the end of the season knowing I've left no stern unturned to give the club, my my teammates and the fans everything I had. To have been a part of something bigger than myself, something that is so important to so many people, has been a privilege and an honour. Representing this jumper is something I will never take for granted. I love this football club and I just want to thank all of my teammates coaches, staff, volunteers, and all the members and supporters have been with me throughout this journey. Yeah, like I, like I said, got, got a bit emotional there. What, what are your, some of your favourite hooksy stories and memories? I think uh, we were talking about it, obviously, after the news broke, and I think for me, um, a couple of things. It wasn't, it wasn't from any specific game or moment, but um, I guess just the passion that you always had. Like, if you kicked a goal, I think I said to you at the time, it wouldn't matter if it was the match winner, which you did on a number of occasions for us, thankfully, uh, whether we were 10 goals up or eight goals down. Like, he always tried to pump up the boys and, you know, put uh, gave us a, a bit of a double fist, double cover style stuff as well. And, um, you know, always yelling and screaming after he kicked a goal to pump everyone up. And I think something I've noticed more recently is, I would always watch it at the start of the game and be like, we're only halfway through the first quarter and Hooker is absolutely filthy. Like, he's just covered in mud and dirt and grass and um, sort of watched him a bit closely. Like, how come no one else is like that? It looked like he was just coming out the back of a mechanics workshop. And um, it was just because he's always in and under and scrapping and fighting to win the ball. He, he For a big man, he did a lot of work at ground level as well. And he was just, just the guy who you couldn't ask for any more than for what he gave. He was just really invested and... 
uh, always doing the best for his teammates. First one to go in and fly the flag. Um, just comes across as a, a guy who just loves his teammates, loves his club, uh, and loves loves his footy. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. I guess a couple of things for me. Um, for a guy that's so humble, and you hear when he speaks, and there was really good vision of him today when he gave the speech, and last year and his 200th and stuff like that. He's such a humble, dedicated guy, really values his family and his teammates. I can't believe this man ran with a top-knot haircut. <laughs> the Dale Defender, he went forward and he had that hair in the bun, right? And I was looking at some of the highlights today and it's like normal. And then all of a sudden it was interspersed with him with the haircut. I thought to myself, that is, that is ridiculous that he, he chose to do that. But it's, you know what it was? It is. I th- as soon as I thought, oh, classic hooksy, right? I guarantee you that was just for a laugh or for a bet or just to get the boys up. You know, look at me, I've got a silly haircut. Right? And that's that's what he was all about. Like you said, he's all passion. He's all about his teammates, you know. I guess, you know, there's probably, you know, the fact that the two stories that I would like to remember is that we 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 tried to trade him twice, and he said no, right? And I guess the the first story is that the second time we tried to trade him to, to West Coast, there, I think it was Bomber and Dodoro went over to his the house he was sharing with T Bell in Port Melbourne, and he knew they were coming, so he barricaded the door, like put a bookshelf or something in front of the door, so they couldn't get in the house because he said I think he said that he knew that if they came in, they would talk him into going back to back to Perth to be with his family, but he said he didn't want to leave the football club. He loved it that much. And I think, you know, I think as the story goes, he's after they, they, they couldn't get in. He pretended not to be home. So they went away and then he didn't, he was too scared to move the bookshelf away. So when T-Bell came, he had to jump the back fence to get over. <laughs> and this is a, this is a 270 metre man with bad ankles. <laughs> but that would have been a, a sight to see. And I guess the, um, on a, on a less funny note, but probably, the most important note, his uh, his decision to to re-sign during the suspension year, he wasn't the first. Um, our boy Heath Hocking was the first, and there was a, a couple others in there between. But he was he was the first real big name to stay, and I think he was the real catalyst to getting other people to stay. Right, I think a lot of the other the teammates thought, you know, Hooksy can go back to Perth, be with his family. Fremantle offered. A really massive deal. He would have been one of the highest paid players in the competition, and he Hooksy decided to stay. Not even decided to stay. He decided to stay for long term. Dedicated essentially the rest of his career to the football club. And I think a lot of the other boys would look at Kyle Hook and go, "Well, geez, if Hooksy's, Hooksy's going to commit, then I, I'm going to commit too because I want to play with this guy. That's how much he loves it." And I guess you know that big article. I think it was a big. Three-page spread it ended up being in the Herald Sun the day or the weekend after where he talked about his his love for the club, his love for the play, the players that he plays with, the staff of the football club and, and what the fans and the supporters mean to him. I think that's something that, you know, if you could get that article and give that to every player that got drafted and came into the doors of the football club, I think we, we talk about Essendon culture, Essendon people. That's, you know, this is what this club stands for. This is what this club can mean to you. Make it work. And I think that uh, that would be great. Yeah, definitely a, a great career from Kyle Hooker. And um, I'm sure all, all fans are the same in us in thanking him for being able to watch him watch him go about his business uh, over that 13 seasons. 
Uh, another guy, Patrick Ambrose, uh, also retired. Uh, another guy from the back line, I should say, retired as well. Um, so the three words uh, that they had to describe Ambrose was courageous, ruthless and competitor. And again, I think they really nailed that um, as well with those three words. So Ambrose retires as a 29-year-old, 88-game and 23-goal player. He was drafted at the end of 2013 after playing for our VFL team and he won the Adam Ramanaskis Most Courageous Player Award in 2017 and 2019. So to win that multiple times, I guess, just shows the kind of player player that he was that fits in um, with, with those words that the clubs used to describe him um, in his retirement. So a couple of quotes here from Ambrose. He said he's really proud to have worn the famous red and black guernsey for the past eight years. Um, footy's thrown him a lot of challenges and his fair share of injuries, but uh, the feeling of running out with his teammates every week that kept him going. Uh, in the end, he had to be realistic with his ability to perform and train at the level required, which has become challenging after a long journey with a foot injury, which is referring to that uh, Liz Frank injury, which is quite a nasty one and hard to overcome um, for all athletes, not just footballers. Um, says that he walks away with the game from the game knowing that he's given it his all and that now's the right time to hang up the boots. So um, I think for me, just if I was to think instantly about Paddy Ambrose, the things that come to mind is just really underrated shutdown defender who's played on some really big names and just completely kept them out of the game. And um, also a guy who just every year turned up to preseason in the best shape and gave himself the best opportunity and gave, um, you know, his investment in himself to the team for uh, for both parties to, to achieve um, success. So, um, yeah, he always... He always gave it his absolute all and can't say that we uh, could have got anything more out of Paddy Ambrose. No, no, I agree with, I agree with everything you've said there, Mark. Um, I think something else I would like to think, he's, he's a very selfless player. He played for the team. He wasn't interested in disposals. He wasn't interested in stats. He wasn't interested in the adulation that comes with being a footballer. He was interested in playing for his teammates. Uh, and you could see that in the way he played, you know. He just – he played on a man – and he wanted to beat the man. I think at the comp- he was the number one one-on-one player in the competition for a period there, right? And he didn't care what he was given. He played on taller guys. He played on smaller blokes. His, his fitness and mobility allowed him, you know, he went into the middle and played on Fife and beat Fife, and that was the year Fife won his second Brownlow, right? He go in there and you play on the best player in the competition and you beat him, right? And he just – then he – you know, obviously started forward and he was a real competitor, a real hit-up player, threw his body at the ball there and then they identified maybe he could be better used down back and didn't didn't put his hand up, no, I want to play up forward, I want the adulation, no, I just want to play with what's best for the team. Went back and became one of our really, really important players. And, you know, I think you see in a lot of the footage about Petty Ambrose, how many times he backs into a pack? You don't you don't realise until you see the highlights. And he just he just did it all the time. Didn't blink. Didn't care. Knew he had to go there. Another one, Lock Hooksy, was always the first one to fly the flag for his teammates. Right, quite a more reserved guy, but you know, one in all in type player. And I guess you know a real standout for me. And I guess it's kind of the thing that when I first think of Ambrose, he's just he's we talk about here how ruthless he was. That. Tackle on uh, on Brad, I think Brad Hill at Hawthorne. I think he still hasn't recovered. Brad Hill. <laughs> uh, he was just and he didn't. But the great thing about that tackle, it was completely fair. He tackled him fair. He brought him to the ground. He didn't dump him. It didn't hurt him. 
and then he he doesn't try to do what a lot of players that do these days, rub their head in the ground or stand over them, look at me, I'm a big tough guy. No, he got straight back up and went after the ball. It was all about team. It wasn't about him, it was about team. And that's, you know, to Patrick Ambrose, congratulations and I hope you uh, can enjoy the time with your, your family. I think he's got a young daughter as well, so... Uh, many happy years ahead. Yeah, well said. And I think uh, we move on now to a couple of guys who um, were granted uh, contract extensions and signed on with the club this year. So hopefully they can continue and have um, long careers similar to what uh, Hooker and Ambrose that we just spoke about. So the first guy is Mac Welfy. Um, he's 24 years old. He signed a new one-year deal to remain with us until the end uh, of at least next season in 2022. Uh, he was drafted with pick 76 in the 2017 draft. Uh, he came from WA originally. Since then, he's played 61 games um, in the red and the black for us. So uh, he's um, been a real workhorse, uh, Groffy, and he's put in a lot of effort to, to get himself games and then to remain in the team and not, not go out of it. So a um, couple of quotes from him. He said he's really excited to sign a new deal with the club. It's been a really exciting season to be part of, and he's loved seeing how much uh, the team's been able to grow and playing in a group in, sh- in such a short period of time under um, under Ben Rutten. And uh, he's really pleased uh, to be able to remain at the club and continue um, his development as a player. And he's desperate to be part of the future success of the club. And I think that's um, a really strong statement that he's he's so keen. I think a few people may be a bit worried that this is the type of player who might want to go home and look for some opportunities to get more game time at other clubs uh, back closer to his family. But... Um, He's fully invested in the club, and uh, at the moment, it's only a one-year deal. But I guess let's hope that that maybe um, grows to something a bit more after next year. Yeah, no, certainly. I think, uh, as you said, he could could go back home or to another club for m- maybe more opportunity. But I think he he's one of those blokes that every club is really, really important because he's he's can pl- he's a u- classic utility. He can play forward, can play, he can play in the midfield as a wingman. He can play in the actual guts as well win his own ball, he's a good runner, right? you know, is he, you know, there's always things he can work on and he's not going to be, you know, you know, best and fairest, Brownlow medalist, that type of player, but he's uh, he's someone that we really need. He can plug a few holes and do things for the team. So I guess that kind of talks about, we've got some quotes here from Agent Dora and he kind of talks about Guelph there that, you know, he came in at the end of 17 as a mature draftee and he's been able to make an immediate impact at the club. We really mate, rate Matt's effort and intensity around the contest, and we know he's a player who's really driven to get the best out of himself. You know, and I guess you know that's what we really want to see—guys who are self-driven and want and want to do the best for themselves, but also for the club. And if we have a side of you know 22 Mac Welfies that you know maybe aren't the best player there, but really want to succeed and do their best, I think we're on a pretty good path. Yeah, the next guy here. Um... Is one that maybe people don't know as much about. We picked him up in the supplementary period earlier this year, and that's Kane Baldwin. So he's 19 years old. He signed a one-year rookie extension, um, and he was selected, uh, like I said, in the supplementary period earlier in the year, um, coming off the back of two separate ACL injuries um, prior to that. So he's missed a lot of footy in the last uh, couple of years. And um, excitingly for him and for the, for the fans and, and for the club and the other players as well, he played his first minutes uh, with the club over the weekend in that scratch match um, with the VFL side. So he played a couple of quarters and um, managed to get himself a couple of goals and be involved in some other chains of scoring as well. So that's a really exciting step of progress for him in the same week that he signed a contract extension. So 
A um, couple of quotes from Baldwin here was that he's absolutely stoked to be there for next season. It's been a long journey to get to the position that he's in, uh, but the faith the club's shown is really driving him to prove that he belongs at that level. And um, that working with the forwards coach, uh, Dan Jordan, has been a huge boost for his development and he's loved learning from uh, from Truck, Ben Rutten, and the, the rest of the coaching group. So he said he can't wait to get back on the field really soon and does what he, do what he loves, and um, that's playing football. So I think a couple of things that stood out for me as well um, – I can't remember now exactly who it was uh, that I'm quoting here that that said that from the club, but um, they said uh, it was one of the coaching staff from memory that said that he's just a really diligent, hardworking guy that's just striving to get everything out of himself. They said that he's he's constantly watching, you know, extra minutes of vision about how the team works so that he can understand the game plan and the style of footy that that the club's looking to play. And um, there was a, an interesting quote too that on the Monday night when the when the VFL side normally plays that he's often seen down there um, in kind of the Nets area working just on his own or his handballing and things like that, just trying to better his skills and, and, uh, and his fitness and things like that as well. So he seems like a really hardworking, driven guy and that's the sort of guy you'd love to have around a footy club. So really exciting news for Kane Baldwin to sign on. Yeah, those quotes came from uh, Lee Tudor there, who's our, uh, you know, VFL coach, kind of head of development kind of guy there. Um, yeah, I think with Lee, he's uh, he's very old school, Lee Tudor. So to get get a big praise from him, I think actually actually is worth a lot. Sometimes, you know, you can get lots of people get lots of praise, but I think getting a positive review from him is actually quite important there. And, you know, as you said, you get a guy that can kind of put in the hard work. He's in rehab. He can't play. What can I do to improve myself? Because my, at the body, my body can't do it. Doing the extra touch sessions, getting better, you know, doing, watching vision, learning. So when he comes into the club, he's the best. He comes into the side and can play. He's, he put himself in the best position to succeed. So I think that's, that's really important there. And I guess we'll, we'll kind of talk about some quotes from Adrian Dodoro there. You know, we're really happy that, have Kane sign on for next season. We believe Kane is a quality young talent who's had some bad luck over the last several years. Uh, he's an exciting prospect who possess- possesses terrific leadership abilities for a young man and he fits really well into our program. We're keen to see what Kane can do. Now he's back at full fitness and we're hoping a clean run at football will unlock his full potential. Um, and from everything you've read and seen and heard, his potential is quite high, so if we can get <laughs> if we can get a full potential out of there, I think it's going to end up proving to be uh, quite an astute selection from the preseason supplementary period, and uh, we could be talking in 13, 15 years about you know Kane Baldwin, what a what a superstar, uh, life member of the club, done it all, you know. So who knows? Uh, another bit of news here that's a positive on an individual um, note here is for Jordan Ridley. So um, he got selected in the AFL uh, Players Association 22 under 22 years old squad. So um, he's on track to be to be put into that list of 22. Uh, so I guess it's pretty simple. It's uh, it recognises players, the best 22 players in the comp that are under 22 years old. So. Um, he got selected, I think, in that last year from memory, and he's been uh, put back into the mix again for it this year. So um, he's had the average disposals this year is 21.3. He's had uh, 6.3 average rebound 50s per game, 6.5 intercepts per game, and uh, 
gain so far as well in 2021. So um, similar to like we spoke about earlier with, uh, with, with Jackie Stringer, it would have been interesting to see what this guy's stats were if he didn't have those couple of games that he missed through through the concussion and then kind of had a bit of a slow comeback from that because um, he was going really well at the start of the year. That sort of put a little bit of a speed bump in front of him. And since then, um, getting back on top of that, he's been he's been just elite again as a 21-year-old. That's It's really impressive from Jordan Ridley. Yeah, so we'll move on to some VFL news. So uh, Essendon was set to play its final match of the uh, VFL season against GWS this week. It had obviously been... Um, been impacted by COVID and then rounds were cancelled and then were kind of structured up to play GWS. But the AFL has been forced to cancel the final round and the first week of finals after another lockdown extension this week. So the season has now lost a total of five of the 19 rounds, which each of the past 12 weeks being affected by some extent. So they came up with some complicated system of working out who had played. It was not worth talking about because it was irrelevant. We weren't, well, I think we only won the two games for the year, so we were nowhere near final. So, unfortunately, our official VFL season is done. Um, but we've still got the capacity, like you mentioned, to play scratch matches against other clubs. So, I think that's probably what they'll continue to do. We might play scratch match against Collingwood this week, for instance. So, um, yeah, hopefully, some of the guys who talk about Baldwin. Jai Corwell, maybe Kyle Langford, maybe Zaharakis, Carl Tipper, all those type of guys. If if they need to get a run, there is the opportunity there for them to do so. So I guess the the next thing is we'll move on to the AFLW. Uh, some exciting news, Mark. Yeah, this is uh, it's been a, a huge week for news, but this is arguably. Um... The biggest, so a huge milestone for the club in being granted a license to join the AFLW competition for the 2022 into the 2023 season. So um, that won't be the next season that's played at the end of this year, but the one after that. So uh, the club's obviously been applying for this since the inception of the competition, and the AFLW has only been able to grant so many licenses per year for staged. Um, kind of rollout of the competition but it's now a full competition and we're amongst the last four clubs to join that and um, it's a huge milestone for the club, something they've been pushing for for a while and, and recognises the, the importance of the women's football program at the club Yeah, so we'll just get some, some quotes here from uh, our president, Paul Brasher He says that we are a football club with a proud rich, diverse, inclusive and successful history but today, the Essendon Football Club becomes whole. Today is a landmark day for the red and black. We have never been better positioned to enter the AFLW competition. Uh, and through our commitment to growing the game and establishing pathways across uh, Melbourne's Northern Corridor and Northern Territory, uh, we believe we have the emerging talent to underpin this profile for our AFLW team. Uh, with our bespoke AFLW facilities now completed at the Hangar, and with our long-term vision of AFLW games being played at Windy Hill, our impact in the AFLW competition will only be further strengthened. Finally, every young bomber, boy or girl, can dream one day of representing the mighty red and black. And for us, this is exactly why our football club is now truly whole. So, um, some some really really powerful words there by by Paul Brasher. I guess the the interesting thing there is that you know. 
it's been well publicised the redevelopment that's taken place at the hangar, how they've uh, you know put in uh, women's change rooms for, for both home and away to play games there. They've also built in dormitories to have for our NGA players with our connection to you know the Northern Territory there. Um, so they've obviously invested heavily to have the training facilities at the hangar as a place to train. But excitingly, it seems like they're looking to want to play games at Windy Hill. And that obviously goes into this whole Windy Hill precinct project that's been the club's doing with the, I think, the Mooney Valley Council of how we best utilise the assets that are there at Windy Hill. And given our long-term lease on the club there, it should be interesting to see what happens there, maybe, you know, do they redo the grandstands? Do they kind of do what Carlton did? Do they put lights in? Do they kind of make it more a community asset, the people of, you know, that colder Essendon, Nidri, Keel or Mooney Ponds can all access and then potentially broadcast games from and really development, a real community hub that the AFLW, the VFLW, our VFL side, and, you know, even we talk about our AFL side, how the, they've been training one day a week at Windy Hill, you know, they're kind of getting connection with the with the culture and the history of the club. So, yeah, that little piece there I think is exciting news and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we go. Yeah, very much so. It's a, a, a huge milestone for the club and um, something to be very proud of and excited about moving forward as well. So, um some really good news there this week for the club. Uh, with that, we'll take a break and then we'll move into the last section, which is our preview of uh, the last home and away game of the year. So round 23, the last home and away game of the year, it's Essendon versus Collingwood. Uh, we're going to be playing on Sunday at the MCG at 20 past three in the afternoon. So, uh, Brendan, it all comes down to this. <laughs> yes, uh... Against the uh, one of the arch enemies there, um, hopefully it can be uh, Anzac Day uh, revisited from earlier on in the year. It was a uh, had a number of guys had really uh, big breakout games there, so you know had a good win. So maybe that can be the same. Yeah, hope so. It's um, uh, yeah, playing as the arch rival. There's always they're obviously a bit lower down the ladder this year, but there's always. A bit of anxiety. Uh, it doesn't sort of matter where these teams are in the ladder when they play each other, um, similar to when we play a Carlton or something like that as well. So um, there's a little bit of anxiety around that aspect of it, but uh, they're also ripe for the picking. So if we go uh, into our injury, our injury list, we're heading in the right direction at the right time of the year with our injury list. So uh, there's not as many to read out here. So we'll go through them all. But uh, Michael Hurley with his hip obviously is done for the year. Harrison Jones with his foot. There was some um, a very brief amount of footage of Harrison Jones running some laps uh, at the hangar, so that was that was a good sign that he's uh, no longer in the moon boot and he's running. Um, Kyle Langford with his hamstring, he's probably touch and go at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that there would be um, any chance of him returning this week. Uh, I think he's having done a couple of hammies now this year. I would have thought he's at least four four weeks total. Um, so I don't think we're going to see Langford. Uh, Irving Mosquito with his knee rehab and his personal leave um, he won't be won't be returning this year. And uh, Anthony McDonald said Woody took some personal leave. Uh, they put him in that 10-day block to work on his fitness, um, which he's into now. So uh, interesting to see whether he will be available for selection um, this week or not. 
Uh, and Zach Reed with his stress fractures in his back um, will not feature again this year. A couple other guys uh, who we spoke about uh, came Baldwin just before. So he came off the injury list uh, on the basis that he played some footy uh, over the weekend. And um, also uh, a really exciting one was uh, Jai Caldwell. Uh, been out since round one or two there. And um, he uh, has recovered now from that hamstring, uh, multiple hamstring injuries that he had. And he played a half as well. So uh, really good to see him get back to playing footy. And by the reports of the club went really well. So um, so that was good. Uh, what about Collingwood? Brennan, have they got, uh, what have they got for us on the injury front? Uh, they've, uh, against, I guess, similarly got some injuries there. I guess with one round to go, you have a two-week injury, you see a one-week injury, season's over. So um, we'll just highlight some key plays there. So Isaac Quainor, he's got glandular fever. Uh, he played really, really well against us uh, on Anzac Day there. So unfortunately for us, he's not playing. Um, both the Brown boys, Callum and Tyler Brown, they've both done shoulders. So they're both out for the year. Uh, they're two uh, pretty important players for Collingwood. Go under the radar. Well, like most opposition people wouldn't wouldn't know them, but for that they're Gavin's uh, sons there. But they actually play an important role in that Collingwood side. Um, your favourite player there, Mark, uh, the big American, uh, Mason Cox. He's unfortunately done what seems to be a serious injury to his to his larynx there, and he's he's out for the season there. So, uh, our best wishes to the to the big American. Uh, and then there's uh, the two Jets there and uh, Darcy Moore with a knee and uh, the captain, Scott Pendlebury, with a leg injury. Uh, they won't be uh, playing for us, but hopefully they get better soon because uh, we like to see good players play and they can have a fresh crack next year. But, uh, yeah, Darcy Moore, that's a big out, centre-half back, dominant, and obviously Pendles, even at his age, is probably close to still their best player. And not on the injury front for them, but um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, Brody Mychek, their key forward, I think he got himself suspended last week with a bit of a late hit or something of that effect. So um, I'm not sure if this is 100% right, but I don't think he'll be playing against us. So Yeah, uh, that, is a, that is 100% right. He did get suspended. I, Funnily enough, I had him in my, uh, we'll talk about it now, our key opposition players, I had him the last there because I always like to focus a guy last that we've, you know, Brody with his dad, Obviously, a bit of an excellent connection there. His dad played for the Bombers back in the day. Uh, but, um, yeah, very lucky <laughs> he's not playing because he's actually uh, he's a very good forward and he has a habit of being a thorn in our side as well. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big win for us. So, I guess um, we'll kind of start there with uh, the big ruckman, Brody Grundy. Uh, obviously, is a multiple Australian uh, it's actually started a year a bit slowly, but it's kind of come into some good form of recent time. He's obviously not back to his all-strain best there, but he's, he's certainly a good enough player to cause us trouble there. Uh, obviously, big semi-Drapers to match up. Uh, even though Draper's going to pretty better form, I think Brody, with his experience, is the better player, and I just just want Drapers to kind of break even with Grundy and kind of nullify the impact he can have. Uh, and then the next one, I think, is... Uh, is potentially a really good one-on-one battle, and that's uh, Jordan Degoe to uh, to Jake Stringer. Uh, I could see them both competing at the centre bounce, and they're both looking to push forward. So I don't think there'd be too much defensive running <laughs> from either player. <laughs> but in terms of trying to win the ball, get it out of the clearance, and go for a kick a goal, I think that's uh, you know you can't you can't pay to, to it for admission anyway. Now, but that is certainly one you would if you could. 
Uh, who else have we got here, Mark? Yeah, next on the list we had Steel Sidebottom, who, um, like you said before, a bit of a, a thought in, in our side as well. He's uh, he's done a number on us a few times, so um, very good mid. And we thought maybe Dylan Shield was a good matchup. He's definitely got the tank to go with him. He's got the he's got the the drive, so uh, that maybe is a suitable matchup there. He grew up in Essen supporter too, still. So um, I think that he's always carried that with him, and he's always liked to stick it to us because he's done it. He hasn't done it on one or two occasions. I think pretty much every game he's played over his career, he's played bloody well. The, the next guy here was uh, Jack Crisp. So I think this was a guy that we spoke about in, in a bit of length uh, during our Anzac Day um, review as well, that we said that uh, he was a, a bit of a, a player who might fly under the radar and get off the chain a bit, and he did. So um, I think we need to pay him a bit of respect. He's a good player, and Darcy Parrish might be a good matchup. Uh, for Jack Crisp there. So um, do you want to round us out there with the last few? Yeah, so the next is Braden Maynard, um, plays mid-back. Mid um, I went with Mason Redmond. Obviously, Redmond doesn't play too much forward, but I just think with – I think we mentioned this previously. With with Maynard's aggressiveness and physicality, we really need someone who can match it with him there. And, um, yeah, so I think Redmond might be the go. If not, I think probably – in terms of style-wise, someone like an Alec Waterman who's strong in the body, can stand up under physical pressure, is probably um, a good matchup. Uh, Jamie Elliott, uh, another guy that's cut us to pieces in the past. Uh, he's come back to some good football. I guess the really only matchup there is probably a, a Nick Hine there in terms of pace, strength, ability to mark overhead. I think if we wanted to do something creative, we talked about Sam Durham potentially playing halfback, maybe that role, maybe that's something... If, if we wanted to still get the creativity out of Hine, we could do. And then finally, Josh Dacos there. He's having uh, mentioned before about the uh, the Brown boys and opposition supporters not knowing much about them. Same goes with Josh there. He's obviously the son of Peter. And, um, yeah, he's actually actually quite an important player to the Pies, plays on a wing in the midfield, push forward. So I think um, Zach Merritt, you know, whilst they might not directly go up against each other, I just think... Uh, Smaller guys, good pace, diligent, kind of work defensively as well. I think that's kind of a, a stylistic matchup that we might see. So, first of the three questions, Mark. We love to have our, our three questions on the game looking ahead. Um, can we replicate the dominance that was Anzac Day? Short answer is I don't see why not. Uh, that was at a period of time where we were running ourselves into a bit of form. And I think that that was a real turning point at the start of the year for us as well. So um, it's going to be a bit different. Anzac Day was a crowd of, I think, 80-odd thousand. There was a huge atmosphere. It was a really good day looking back. It's um, one of the highlights probably of a, of a year where we haven't been able to enjoy a lot of highlights. So uh, I don't see why we can't replicate that same sort of form. I think it's going to be... We're going to need a strong start. Uh, we didn't do that against Gold Coast. We, we sort of fired up in the second quarter there. But um, I think it's going to require a strong start, not let them get get on the scoreboard early, um, motivate ourselves, and I guess, you know, probably look to the retirement of, of Hooksy this week and how he, uh, I guess, motivates the team by pumping a, pumping a run up after a goal and do that kind of thing and get everyone going early and um, really get on top and try and crush them early. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that getting in early is something we're going to have to do. Kong was actually been playing some not bad football in recent in recent weeks there. Uh, I think they had a bit of a lull once uh, they 
couple good games under Rob Harvey, then a bit of a lull. But I think they're kind of finding their way. They're still, you know, near the bottom bottom of the ladder there. But um, as you said, um, one of those matchups there where it doesn't matter where sides are on the ladder, they they tend to lift there. Their final final game for the season, I guess they'll be talking a lot about wanting us not to make finals to see if we can try and ruin their season. So I guess they'll kind of be up for it there. But, you know, their best forward in, in my check's not going to be there. Their best defender in in um, in Darcy Moore's not going to be there. Their best midfielder in, uh, in Pendlebury's not going to be there. So we've got some advantages have gone our way. Uh, as you mentioned, we've got in the past two weeks, we've had like four blokes come back <laughs> off the injury list. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's something we can do. And hopefully the excitement we're seeing out of young players is something we can do. You know, maybe talk about Durham, maybe Perkins or Cox, you know, some of these guys with a little bit of ex- less experience at AFL level can stand up and have a, have a big game. So the next question I have for you, Mark, is, this game's actually scheduled to, at the MCG there on the Sunday at uh, 3.20. Um, does the fact that it's at the MCG actually pose a difficulty for us? We haven't played the MCG a lot this year and, you know, I actually can't remember the last game we played at the MCG. And a big venue, no crowds. I know the Pies have played there a couple times there with no crowds. That's Is that a big advantage for them? Uh, I think... I think there's definitely something in it. I reckon the last game that we played at the MCG was maybe against Melbourne, which is going back probably six or seven weeks ago off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, I think just it's a, it's a big ground. You know, we've just come off playing at, at Geelong's ground, which is obviously very narrow, a bit shorter, um, two completely different style of grounds. Uh, before that, we spent a bit of time, obviously, this year uh, up on the Gold Coast playing at grounds which aren't MCG size either. So, um, yeah, I think the fact that they've played a few games there recently and we haven't, um, hopefully it's not something we take long to adapt to. And hopefully the fact that we managed to get back from Queensland a few weeks ago and we've spent some time um, at the hangar and the hangar obviously has those two grounds there to train on, which one's MCG size and one's Marvel Stadium size. So uh, hopefully with that, we've at least been able to take advantage of that and get a bit of return on investment for, for what we've got at the hangar there. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit in it. Um, but hopefully something that we can adapt to quickly, not for it to be an impact on the game. What, what did you think? Yeah, I think it, it – uh, yeah, I think it might have an impact, especially early. Talked about wanting to impact early. I think that the lack of crowd, we've got a – oh, you know, I think I said to you, our team more probably than any other team in the competition lifts with a big bomber crowd. Like when someone does something, if you know, chase down, tip a tackle – we all go nuts, right? And it's like a cauldron, right? And that really fires it, you know. Talk about the great. We talk about Hooksy before. One, of his great performance there was uh, against GWS that day, where he kind of uh, had to just a standard game down back. Was thrown forward in the last fifteen minutes, and had like six or seven really big moments. Kicked a couple goals, and every time he got near the ball. It just lifted, it lifted because we could feel it coming. It was, and the crowd got, and as the crowd got more into it, the players got more into it. And then I think we feed on the crowd a lot with our players. And that's maybe something that might might hurt us if we haven't experienced it uh, as much, especially when we've been playing in a state, there's been crowds at some venues. So, you know, we've talked about Hawthorne and Tasmania, Gold Coast, over in Perth for, for Dreamtime. 
uh, strong bomber support from the crowd at those games. Even though we're notionally interstate, strong support from the from the Essendon people. So I think maybe that might be something different. What What's the last question we got, Mark? The last one I've got for you here is, uh, does Kyle Hooker come into the team for the last game of the season? Um, not suggesting that it's a farewell game, but he's had a pretty good year. He's kicked nearly, you know, he's kicked over 30 goals, nearly 40 goals or something like that. And um, does he come back into the side this week? I think he potentially might be. I think he was looking a bit, we're talking about how he was looking a bit sore when he was... Uh, when he last played there, those couple of weeks, he just couldn't move a bit. He's had two, three weeks off now. Well, it feels like that in, in the memory there. So maybe he's freshened up a bit. We talked earlier about uh, Peter Wright and Aaron Francis. Maybe we didn't didn't get uh, a, lot of, a lot out of them last week in terms of marking in from all the inside 50s that, that we had there. That's obviously Hooksy's strength. It's not like Hooksy's been struggling all year. As you said, he's, he's played really well and Maybe it's some way we can expose uh, expose the spawn on the back line there. Have hooks in the goal square, Peter right up the ground. Francis can go back or he can play forward. I think if Aaron Francis played the role that, you know, Jones was playing earlier in the years, that third tall got up the ground, kind of kicked it inside 50. Mentioned before that he did a couple of nice things, little taps and kicks inside 50 and opened the play up. And that's when he was kind of more that half forward. He wasn't so much the guy stationed out of the goal square. And then what happens is you play him as the third tall forward, that's when his marking really comes into play because he's got an obvious mismatch. Uh, and then he gets a kick. He kicks it in 550 to hook on one-on-one. His confidence grows. His confidence grows. Uh, and, you know, Frank is one of those guys, you get him hot early. He's a slow build. I think he, he's going to be the fourth quarter specialist. He builds slowly over the game, and by the time the fourth quarter comes, he's red hot. So that's that's a maybe. What did you think? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think a good uh, analytical breakdown there of, of kind of the strengths that he possesses and why he might be able to be considered to come back into the side this week. And I don't see why not. Um, from a more fairy tale perspective, how good would it be if? Ben Rutten goes up to him and says, you're back in the side. Um, you know, we need you this week. You're back in the side. Almost like a coach going to a debutante with their first game. He comes back in full of confidence, tears the game apart, kicks a few goals. We win the game. We go on to obviously make the eight and we play finals. And uh, because everywhere in Australia is so COVID ravaged, we uh, have to fly to, to Perth and he gets to play his, his last games or last hopefully games, but uh, at least the last game there in a final show, you know, have a have a bit of a big game in front of a crowd with his friends and family in Perth. Uh, that's the fairy tale uh, aspect for me, but uh, hopefully hopefully we can get something even close to that. We're obviously looking ahead here that we make finals and whatever, but if we did make finals, I think he has to play. Big hooksy. I think you can't... It's not a situation where, you know, someone like, for instance... T-Bell last year. His body was letting him down. Right? He couldn't really play. He was one game in, two games out. Right? He had bone on bone in the ankle. And, you know, the side was struggling and whatever. Hooks, he's done enough this year 
to get his spot. It's not like he's out of form. It was just, he just was sore needing a rest, and which is considering his age and how much games he's played and the way he's played them, um, it's not surprising. So I think if he comes in, and if there was ever a man for a final, it's it's Kyle Hooker. Uh, I was, we should have mentioned this earlier, but I was talking. I was talking to Dad the other day about Luxy and this talk he was going to retire. And, you know, my old man's been following the football, you know, since he was a young child. So we're going back to, like, the late 60s. And he said, oh, in all that time, he's never seen a better clubman than Carl Hooker. And he says, in terms of a, a swing man, someone who can actually influence games, he said he put him, he put him right up there with Terry Danaher in terms of, can play both ends, can impact in the air, ground, is a leader. And, you know, I, was, I really, you know, that was a, a big statement from Dad to put him up where with, with Terry Danaher. Uh, and then you look at all the highlights, and I think I've said to you this, but I can't think of a guy other than maybe James Hurd who's won more games off his own boot than Carl Hooker. You know, and Matty Lloyd won plenty of games off his own boot because he kicked, you know, seven, eight, nine goals, and that's a win. But in terms of a guy that we needed a moment for someone to impact and kick a goal, Booksy's up there with with the best. Uh, and I think in a big final, you know, now we're talking real fantasy stuff. What would happen if we uh, were in a final there, Mark, and we happened to get the Swannies? And he's kicking a goal, and the, the ball bounces out, and it's uh, it's Hooksy and uh, Buddy Franklin on a wing. <laughs> uh, in this case, there, Hooksy manages to uh, to get ahead of him, and Hooksy's the one that kicks the goal on, on Buddy, and uh, that that get, gets us into the next week of the finals. That'll be um, that'll tick so many boxes. That'll tick a win against the Swans. That'll tick a revenge for a finals loss. That'll tick a Hooksy Buddy revenge, and it took a revenge for Buddy just dominating us so many times. It's it's got so many boxes you could possibly tick. It could not be, go any other way but wrong. <laughs> yeah. I do like it. I think, uh, like you said, there's uh, yeah, there's obviously a bit of excitement, and uh, without getting ahead of ourselves, we've got a job to do and and win against Collingwood on the weekend. That's um, we've got a destiny in our own hands now. So it's uh, you find yourself in the eight. All you got to do is win. Doesn't really matter with our percentage being so healthy about how much that is. So um, the the task the task is fairly straightforward in that respect, but uh, still challenging nonetheless. So in terms of possible changes, um, we've obviously just spoken at length about Kyle Hooker potentially coming in. Um, I guess some people that maybe could could go out or whatever would be uh, maybe Alec Waterman goes out of the side. Uh, we, we did go to him last week as a bit of a on the lead or marking forward. So I guess we would be playing Booker in a similar role anyway. So um, despite the height difference, uh, I think the actual role is quite similar. Um, who else do we have there on the potential changes list? Uh, we had, we had Tipper uh, and, and the Nick Cox, obviously with Tipper, we talked about, He's got this 10-day fitness program. When did that start? When did the 10 days end? Does he come straight back in? Is that, is, is that what they're looking to do? I'm not sure. But if Tipper did come in, I think maybe Archie might be the guy that, that falls out there. He's kind of playing that half-forward role. Um, you're not going to drop a Will Snelling. You're not gonna, Devin Smith's actually starting to hit a bit of, a, bit of good form with his pressure. So maybe he's an unlucky one. Uh, Nick Cox was obviously dropped. They seem to have liked to drop, you know, Cox and Perkins for one week, bring them back in. 
Um, clutching at straws here is maybe, you know, a, a, a Tom Cutler there. He's, Cutler's been playing some pretty good football there, but he's kind of been playing, you know, seventh defender, halfback wing. You know, he's at a role Cox could play. Would you want to expose his height? That's something. I guess the only really other one is kind of in a similar vein to, to be Hooksy there, and that's uh, and that's David Zaharakis. Um, would he get a game uh, in the side, you know, against Collingwood, potential last game of his career? Is that, you know, some synergy that, that we could um, we could utilise there? Obviously, hasn't been allowed, so I'm speaking a lot early there with, with Zach there in terms of end of his career, but I believe he's uncontracted there and not sure... You know, he's had some battles with his body this year, whether or not at his age. I think he's 31, so it might be the end for, for Zaka. What did you think about Zaka's inclusion? Yeah, it's um, it's a tough question, uh, to be honest, because the team has played so well the past couple of weeks. I could easily understand us going in unchanged, uh, which I think is probably actually the likely outcome, as much as we've talked about the... I guess the um, the romance in having Hawker come back in the side and all of that, I, I think there's a good chance that the side will remain unchanged. And we haven't been um, we haven't been known to be great with uh, giving games to people who are at the end of their careers either. So um, uh, I'm not sure that that will change either. So uh, yeah, as much as I'd like it, I can't see. I don't think Zarakis has played enough footy this year to be putting his hand up and not having the opportunity at VFL level now as well. Um, makes it really hard to break back into this side. You're almost waiting for an injury or waiting for someone to be so badly out of form um, that you know that, that you can get back into the side. But the second half of the year, this this team's actually played fairly well and and won a few games and um, and been pretty pretty good. And now with the injury kind of uh, list going the the right way for once, uh, it's even harder to to get back into the side. You have got more competition. So yeah, unfortunately, I'd love to see him back, but. Um, Unfortunately, I I uh, don't think it'll be be this week at least. So, um, probably takes us into the last segment here, which is the result in the margin. So, um, I'll kick us off. Just simply, I I hope we win, and I think we can win, and I think we'll win by about thirty points. The five goals. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I hope we win. I think we can win, and I'm going to go with a six goal margin. Uh, I think. Um... Yeah, it could be um, could be a game that we uh we get a bit of a good win there. Hopefully it is. Hopefully we talked before about you know if we're a good side, we put the foot down on the throat and we win. Obviously, you know this is a side where we really need to test ourselves in terms of how professional we are and how we're able to execute the game plan. Because uh, coming into finals, it's going to be under pressure, and so I think really this is our real last opportunity is to really try and bed that down before the pressure of finals hits. Yeah, and I think um, this year, I guess, has already been probably deemed a successful year for most supporters. Um, but it would be a little bit disappointing to, to lose to a, t- a side that's so low in the ladder when there's a lot up for grabs. So um, as good as this year's been and that you know, regardless of what happens, I guess we will reflect um, at some point in time to say that it's been a, been a step forward and improvement and, and we've exceeded expectation. Um it would be a pretty sour note to end with a loss. So really hope that doesn't happen. And um, on the flip side, it'd be hugely exciting to get a win. And I, I, I think whether this game is 
you know, is it, if it's a win by one point or by a hundred points, um, there's so much to be gained by just getting just getting a win here, regardless of the margin. Um, I, I think it would just be huge for the club, the supporters, the team, the players, the coaches, all the staff, and everything. So there's um, there's a fair bit riding on this result. Uh, I think we obviously goes without saying, but I think there's a lot of unspoken things as well that um, for for other people on the peripheral that can. Uh, they could definitely be gained from a win in this game. Um, with that, we'll wrap up. And social media, Facebook and Instagram, you'll find us on there. Um, updates of when these uh, episodes are being released and the like. So uh, look out for us there. And um, we look forward to some engagement on that as well, people's thoughts and suggestions and comments. Um, I think that's it from me, Brendan. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I guess that I hope everyone is doing well in where there are in the country, we've obviously a number of states have got border restrictions in place and there's lockdowns in a, in a couple of other states and people are experiencing potentially their first lockdown. Other people, I think, like, you know, in here in Melbourne, in our sixth lockdown. So just hoping that, you know, everyone's firstly safe, healthy, uh, and then obviously thoughts go out to those, you know, with the, restrictions in terms of it's impacting their ability to work and stuff like that. So hoping all is well. And um, other than that, let's hope for a big win. Go Bombers! (laughs) Go the Dons.